Welcome to Module 21 of Administrative Law. I'm Craig Forces. Recall we're examining, again, these things known as substantive errors, that is, judicial review on substantive grounds that goes to the merits. Recall also that any allegation that a delegate made a substantive error requires you to resolve two primordial questions. First, when will the court show deference? And second, what does deference mean in practice? We've now discussed all the applicable legal tests and considerations that goes into answering those two questions. And I think at this point, it might be useful to try to pull them together in a sort of problem-solving way. Because it is one thing to lay out a buffet of considerations, as the court does in a case like Vavilov, and it's quite another thing to advise a client or to argue a case. In those circumstances where you're arguing a case or advising a client, one has much less latitude for open-textured discussions of the sort that might be fun in a classroom or might be the fodder for judicial decision-making. In the case of an applicant confronted with the decision of a delegate, they want a remedy and you need to be able to evaluate their chances. And if the client then proceeds, you have to be able to argue their case, ideally successfully. Now, as I've said in Vavilov, the Supreme Court stepped away from making much of a distinction between the different classic substantive errors, errors of law, errors of fact, abuses of discretion, although these have an echo of sorts in the considerations that go into measuring reasonableness. Recall our discussion of that toolkit. But I think as an advocate representing someone challenging a decision, you need to start pulling at that ball of yarn at a different spot than the court might. You need a theory of the case. You need to find something wrong on the merits around which you can focus your arguments. You can't start with an abstract discussion of standards of review and reasonableness and then end with, and so, Your Honor, how does this case make you feel? Does it smell unreasonable to you? Instead, you need to lead the judge to errors that you will then argue manifest that unreasonableness. To use the words of one former federal court judge, you need something that rings the bell of the judge, makes them doubt the delegate's decision-making. And so I do think you need to start with an issue-identifying exercise. You need to look at the facts you have before you, and you have to ask, Is there some misconstrual of law? Has there been some factual error? Is there some exercise of discretion, that is some making of a choice, that seems to have been done with some improper or irrelevant purpose, similar to that in Roncarelli? So in other words, the classic old categories of substantive review still matter as an issue spotting exercise for you as you develop your theory of the case. I'd add also now, after Vavilov, you have to ask, Is this decision a departure from past outcomes in similar cases? Or more generally, is there a failure of rationality in the reasons? Is there some logical fallacy I can identify in the reasons? If you can look at the facts you have in front of you, especially look at the reasons that you might have in front of you from the delegate and find a hook of this sort, that becomes your theory of the case. That becomes your anchor around which you can build your analysis. That is the thread of the yarn that you can start pulling to unravel the knot of how to win this case, how to challenge this decision. So find that hook first. And once you've found that hook, 
Then you worry about the Vavilov dance. And you travel down Highway Vavilov. And you see if you can take one of those off-ramps in terms of standard review, from reasonableness to some other standard review. And if you're representing an applicant, you're always hoping to get to correctness because, of course, that's a less deferential standard of review. It makes your case easier. The first off-ramp requires you simply to read the governing statute. Is there a prescribed standard of review other than reasonableness in that statute? Is there a statutory right of appeal to the court? And if there is a statutory right of appeal, you take your theory of the case, that is the errors you've identified, and you plug them into the Hussein test. If it's an error of law you're alleging, you're going to apply correctness. If it's an error of fact or something that uh, is factual enough that it can't be disaggregated from a pure question of law, you're going to apply palpable and overriding error as your standard of review. If that doesn't work, if you can't take that first off-ramp, you continue down Highway Vavilov and you see if you can take that second off-ramp in terms of standard of review. There, that does require you to have a very clear theory of the case in terms of identifying those errors. You will need to do your issue spotting and conclude, for example, that there is an error of law, an error of law that you can plausibly say is of central importance to the legal system. If you can do that, well, you'll be able to persuade a court to apply a correctness standard. Or you need to urge that there's a constitutional error. The error of law in question is a constitutional one. And if you have such a constitutional question, of course, you have to worry about the subdivision between a constitutional question that concerns the constitutionality of a statutory provision, in which case you apply correctness, or one that triggers the Doré test that we talked about in the last module. Or perhaps you can spot an error of law that concerns the jurisdictional boundaries between decision makers. In that case, too, you can get to correctness. You can use the off-ramp from Highway Vavilov and you can get to correctness, which means that if you can persuade the judge that you're right, that in fact the error does exist, the judge owes no deference to the decision maker. And having been persuaded by your view of the law, the judge can simply apply it and conclude that the decision maker was an error. However, if you're still stuck barreling down Highway Vavilov to reasonableness, then you take your theory of the case and you pick away at that decision from the delegate, deploying as many of those tools that exist in that toolkit that we talked about in our module on reasonableness review as are available to you. If there is internal incoherence or a lack of rationality, hammer at that. If there is a departure from past practices in terms of outcomes, hammer at that. Hammer at the Spider-Man rule. Remember the idea that the greater the impact on the individual, the more we might expect of the decision maker's reasons. If you think there's some kind of misconstrual of statutes or past court case law, hammer at that. And in doing so, if you're alleging that the statute was misconstrued, remember to use those principles of statutory interpretation, the modern rule which you will have learned about in other classes. If you think there's been an error of fact, a misconstrual of facts, hammer away at that. And if you think that there's been an exercise of discretion that departs from the reasons why that discretion exists in the statute in the first place, well, hammer away at that. The Roncarelli-style situation. Use all and any of these tools to urge that singularly or cumulatively they manifest unreasonableness, and this opens the door to administrative law remedies for your client. My key takeaway, start with a theory of the case, that is a complaint about what exactly is wrong with the decisions on the merits, and let that guide your analysis. 
through a sort of decision tree that leads you properly through all the elements of the case you need to argue. Do not start with an abstract treatise on administrative law and the concept of reasonableness and hope that in some essay on Vavilov, you will stumble on a winning case. It will not happen. Okay, so let's put away Vavilov and turn to our last topic in this course, that is remedies. Until then, this ends Module 21.